Welcome to the Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy, the free podcast for motivated teachers and school leaders who want to inspire their students and school community in literacy learning. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast player, and for more amazing literacy resources, check out the show notes provided with every episode. Hi, I'm Sharon, and I'm the host of a Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy. In every toolkit episode, we bring you specific resources, tools, strategies, tips, techniques to help you in your job as a teacher of literacy. Firstly, we acknowledge and pay our respects to the Ghana people, the traditional custodians whose ancestral lands we gather on. We acknowledge the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of the Ghana people to country, and we respect and value their past, present and ongoing connection to the land and cultural beliefs. Welcome newcomers to the Facebook group, the podcasts and Teacherific resources. We love hearing the diverse reasons why teachers across the world are joining. There is so much deep and creative literacy work going on in schools. Just a few comments from people who have come to the group looking for these things and I'm very happy to say people feedback too that they're finding these things. So one teacher said, I'm looking at increasing my understanding of how best to teach English in my foundation classroom. Another teacher said, I want to explore more teaching resources. Another teacher, innovative ideas for teaching literacy to my students. We often have graduate teachers and I so admire all those graduate teachers and pre-service teachers who tap into the podcast. One said to improve my skills and practices as a graduate teacher and I just love the simplicity of this one, lots of great new ideas. So we welcome everybody and if you're not a member of the Teachers Toolkit Facebook group, we'd love you to join and introduce yourself to the group. And it's because of all these amazing people and conversations and people out there looking for information. We are so thrilled to be bringing podcasts to you and especially bringing the great thinkers and learners and educators that we have access to. And so today we have Di Snowball joining us again on another podcast And this podcast is called Talking to Parents About Spelling. So welcome, Di. Hi, Sharon. Nice to be talking to you again. Oh, it's always wonderful to have you in the, well, you're not in the room, but (laughs) metaphorically (laughs) um, in the room, being in conversation. And so many people feedback just how much they gain from your insights into all areas of literacy, Di. So it's always such a privilege to be able to have you in conversation to explore the big topics So today, talking to parents about spelling, we really had a thought, you know, a big thing, you know, why have we settled upon this as this week's topic? It actually came from, and I think you've probably got a very similar story, Di, in that we've had teachers and leaders who have often asked, you know, like, how do we explain the best approaches to the teaching of spelling to parents? Because they're wondering about how spelling works now. It looks different from what they experienced. What should they be doing and leaders and teachers really looking for some ways to talk about that. What are the things that we can talk about and the ways that we can explain that to parents? And so we've really drawn on one of your resources, Di, yours and Faye Bolton, Spelling K-8, to to really tap into what are some of the most frequently asked questions. Um, yeah. It's interesting, you know, Sharon, because Faye and I wrote that book a few years ago now, obviously, Mm. and I'd forgotten we did that appendix, Questions Parents Ask. And, of course, we included it because we knew that would be the sort of thing that would happen and was Mm -hmm. happening. So, you know, if you're, you're still learning, then it's really good for you to have explanations to help you to provide those sorts of answers for parents. And it's not as though as a teacher you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, but to be able to draw upon expertise to help you to do that is really worthwhile. So I'm really pleased that we're going back to this because parents Mm. are still asking questions about the teaching of spelling. We need to be able to justify what we are doing, not just for the sake of it, because the more that the parents understand how spelling is really learned by children, 
then the more that they can get involved and help because they might set kids off on something at their home that isn't really making sense or is, you know, not fitting in with what's going on at school. And if they don't know enough about it, then they're going to be doing their best to help mm. their kids, mm. but without really knowing why or what to do. And on the other hand, then I still have some parents, you know, it might be your hairdresser who's saying, oh, it's just dreadful. The kids are being sent home, 20 words to learn for the week. And it's such a horrible chore for us at home. It becomes really stressful and we try our best, but then the child gets, you know, 15 out of 20 and they think they've failed and we don't know what to do to help them, but it's just causing stress at home. And I think, you know, there's so many different perspectives on the teaching of spelling and without everybody being really up to date in schools about the, the best research on this or the best practices. And if the teachers don't get a chance to have professional learning on such a topic, then, Mm. you know, they're doing the best they can. Sometimes they're even doing things that they think probably isn't working, but they're not sure about what else to do. When you do your training as a teacher and you're at university learning things, they don't necessarily talk about the tin tack things like how to teach spelling. So a lot of teachers start out without, you know, their memory is of how they were taught. Yes. Rather yes. than someone helping them to understand more. Yes. So this is a great topic to deal with. Yes, and yeah. that probably leads us straight to the very first question that is frequently asked is about why are children taught to spell in a different way from when we went to school? Yeah, and of course that can vary, you know, when you think yeah. about when I went to school. So if I'm in my 70s, then we're talking about a long time ago that I was in primary school and spelling was nothing more than being given a list of words to learn. And it's fascinating to think that that still goes on in some places as though that's the only thing to do. And yet if you all stop and think about it, being given a list of words to learn is not teaching. So actually we weren't taught spelling. We were just given a list of words to learn and we weren't even being told the best way to learn words. So it wasn't like there was any real teaching going on. It was just something you were supposed to do at home on a routine basis. And all that was happening at school probably was the teacher going through our writing and putting a red line through something that was wrong. But then the spelling list may not have even had anything to do with the words that I was spelling wrongly in my writing. That's what we have to go back to as the crux of the matter. What is spelling for? It's not a separate subject that you learn for no reason other than just to learn some words. The only reason we need to spell in the conventional way is so that other people can read our writing. Because otherwise, we could all make up our own way to spell words and it wouldn't really matter. And do you know what fascinates me? My friends in Spain were amazed that we have to have spelling lessons at all because they don't have that at school at all, ever. And they don't do it at home either. And do you know why? No. Well, it's because it's a phonetic language. So that for every sound you hear in a word, there is only one way to represent it. And that might change a bit depending on the placement of where in the word it is. You learn that just by growing up reading, you're realising, well, you know, when I hear this sound, it's always going to be that. So they don't need to spend time on it. But we don't have a truly phonetic language because for every one of the 44 sounds in our language, there are multiple ways to represent that sound. So we can't just say, oh, well, just think about the sounds you hear and write them down and that's it. And that's why we've got lots more things to teach about why words are spelled the way they are in English. And therefore, the teaching does need to take place. But we really mean teaching, not just giving kids a list of words to learn. So if you think about the many strategies you use, every single one of us, to write a word, it might be the word is sat and I can hear sat and I know how to represent each of those sounds. So, okay, I just need to think about the sound symbol connection, the phonics aspect. But if I have a word like they, then T-H-E-Y is not even like all the other words we know, like day, say, play, may, way. And T 
T-H-E-Y is not what we're going to think about the E-Y as a way to represent the A sound. So why is it spelt that way? And one of the most important things about English is to know where did the word come from in the first place? Because all of our words come from other languages. And if you think about a word like cappuccino, ch being a double C, that wasn't originally a one way to represent the ch sound in English. But because that word came to our language from an Italian word, and that ch sound can be a double C, then that's what it's going to be now that it's coming to the English language. And that goes right back to the start of our language, that the words came into the English language from all sorts of other languages. So it depends which other language it came from and the way they pronounced it to be why we've got such a variety of ways to represent any one sound we hear. And so that's just that aspect of it, but it's that whole etymology, the history of the word, like a word like two, as in the numeral two, T-W-O, is related in meaning to twice, twin, twelve, twenty, twin. And we can actually even in those words hear that T and the W, but when we say two, T-W-O, we don't even hear that W. Well, why? Because the word started from, oh, I don't know, how many hundreds of years back, just being part of that family of words with the same meaning, and meaning determines spelling in so many English words. So we want kids to understand why words are spelt the way they are, where they came from. We can find that out by going to dictionaries of etymology, the history of words. We can do that online, even just ask that question, why is mm. two spelt that way? And you can find out these days. That's you know the beauty yes. of, of being able to ask those questions online. But sometimes we also need to understand that if it's a, a high-frequency word, that if that's a word we're using a lot, it would be good to actually automatically know how to spell those words. So, yes, there is a place for learning words, but which words and how will we learn them? And as you know, I've written quite a long article about how to go about learning each of the most commonly used words because we might use a different strategy for different words. Even a word like friend, then, you know, is it the I before E or the other way around? And that's the part that people get mixed up. Well, a grade two girl told me she had a really good memory aid for that, saying Friday is the end of the word. So she had F-R-I and then end. And we all have different memory aids for words that we may not be sure of. One of the other really important things about English words is that it's to do with base words and how you add prefixes and suffixes to them. So that if you write some, S-O-M-E, then you can't write somebody, S-U-M-B-O-D-Y, because they're related in meaning. That's the morphemic aspect of our language that's so important, how meaning determines spelling. Like in mortgage, why is there a T when we don't hear it when we say the word? Well, mort is the derivative of that word, and it originally meant dead pledge. So if you think M-O-R-T, and then you think mortuary, M-O-R-T, and all of the words that start with M-O-R-T like that and have that meaning base, something to do with death, then they're going to have that spelling pattern. So it's not how it sounds, but what was the meaning that determined it, such as in electric, electrician, electricity. So same spelling, but we hear electrician, but electricity, even though it has the same spelling. It's a different sound based on the meaning electric and then what you're adding to it. But the pronunciation may not be the same in both words, but the spelling sure is because they have the same meaning. So it's a long answer to a very short question, Sharon, but <laughs> it's because there are many strategies that we use. Sometimes we still even write a word down and look at it and then think, hmm, I don't think it looks right. And we try it another way and we think, yeah, that looks better. It does have a double P or it doesn't. And, of course, if we're not sure, we could go and look it up somewhere. But because we've seen that word somewhere in our reading, then we recognise that it doesn't look right. So there's also just that whole visual aspect of a word that can help us as well.
So as teachers, we actually have a list of all of those sorts of strategies that we know we want to teach. And when we look at children's spelling mistakes that they make when they write, we want to see which of those strategies are they using and which are they not using so that we can teach them. Now, that doesn't come from just teaching a list of words. And besides, how are you going to teach those list of words? As I say, you might go about that quite differently for different words. Like the word said, because it's S-A-I-D, I can't just think, oh, I could hear S-E-D. I have to think about what's in the middle of that word. The kids will get the S and they'll get the D and they'll actually even ask you questions. What's in the middle? I know when I write an E, it doesn't look right, but what is it? And when you show them it's AI, they'll say, oh, how interesting. And, of course, that's the part that you want them to take notice of. So that discussion about each word, what do the children find interesting, unusual, surprising, that's the part that they're going to focus on even if they're learning a word they haven't known how to spell before. And uh, we want them to know those sorts of things because any word for the rest of their lives that they want to learn because they're using it as a writer, we want them to have all of those strategies to know how to help them learn that word. I'm sure that parents may remember, I know this is what happened with me, we were told to write the words in alphabetical order Mm -hmm. and to write the words in a sentence and then to write the words five times or ten times. And none of those things will actually help you remember how to spell the word because even when we had to write it five times, if the word was said, we'd write underneath each other, S-S-S-S-S, and then we'd go back up and we'd write A-A-A-A-A-I-I-I-I-D-D-D. We still didn't remember because we weren't ever looking at the whole word and thinking about which part of it we needed to remember. So, you know, none of those things actually helped us learn how to spell the word. No. So, Di, we would say that an effective way of teaching spelling now, you know, and why does that look different? You know, really thinking about English being a collection language, you know, it isn't just a, like with Spanish, that is, it's a phonetic language, as are a number of other languages around the world where phonics will, you know, provide that stability and reliability. Yep. But once we and of say, course we, what you need to remember, sorry to interrupt, mm. but you know, I could read Spanish words because I know how yes. to pronounce them, Yes, but I don't understand no. them. No, no, no. <laughs> so it makes it easy for them on the spelling point of view, but just yep. because you can say a word or spell a word doesn't mean you know what it means and no. you haven't comprehended no. what you're reading. And we need to remember that. Yes. But I also want to add that it is one of the strategies that we use. And so, of course, we teach children how to use that sound symbol knowledge. Yes. It's a very important yep. part of it. Yeah. But it isn't enough, of course, for our language. And I think that's, that's, uh, you know, a a critical point for us to know that I think it's the wondrous thing for us in the English language is that because it is a collection of different languages, you know, that have contributed to the English language, that there are wonderful things to notice and explore and discover And wonder about that I think that's what, and when we talk about spelling not just being a learn the list approach, but more of an inquiry stance to learning where we're wondering about words and all of those things, wondering about meaning, about etymology, wondering about which are the plausible and possible patterns, letter patterns that we can have in the English language. Then, you know, where's the base? How do we add prefix, suffix, and what does that do to the word? Once we start talking that it's almost like the parts of language rather than just, well, I feel like for a long time we have, I know it's not every person's experience, but me as well, you know, it was very much about list of words that I was learning as a child. And we know that that is still an approach that's used at times and I think teachers can sometimes feel nervous about moving from that if they don't know what it is that inquiring how we can actually be very strategic in learning how to spell if we exactly um, yeah 
are broadening their strategies. Once teachers have the opportunity to learn about how English words work, then they understand why it's so important to make sure children learn all of that too and how to go about doing it in a way that the children are really interested. But fundamentally, they should never forget that the only reason to learn how to spell correctly is so other people can read our writing. And so if the children are not trying to write for an audience, and that could simply be their classmates, not just the teachers certainly, and they have an opportunity to read each other's writing, then they're going to say things to each other like, oh, I'm not sure what that word is. And it gives you a sense as the writer of your audience and why it's worth learning how to spell words so that other people can read them. But if there's no reading each other's writing, then there isn't even a really good purpose for it, for learning how to spell. So we have to make sure those things are in place. The other really important thing about that is when I first began teaching 56 years ago, children who started school were not asked to just start writing from the time they started school. It was more that child would say what they wanted to write and as a teacher you would write it for them by saying well you don't know how to spell yet so I'm going to write it for you. That means the child doesn't even do that experimenting with working out and even to figure out the sounds that they might hear. It's really important for them to think about that and have a go at it both for themselves but also for you as a teacher to look at their writing and see what they know and what they don't know so that you know what to go on and teach them about and plan for your teaching. And it it is very developmental. When children first start writing, they do tend to write consonants because they hear them so strongly. In a word like bird, they'll write BD or birds, BDZ because they hear that sound on the end. So that we know then that they're hearing sounds and working out how to write them, whereas another child might still be just writing scribble or strings of letters or numbers in amongst it or even some sort of hieroglyphics. And we know they haven't even reached that stage of listening for the sounds in words yet. So we can help them to do that. Every single thing that we see in the children's writing by analysing it, I know if I analyse grade three children's writing, the thing that I'll notice the most is that they don't know how to add suffixes like ed or ing to words because they don't know about when to drop off an e before you add the suffix or when to double a letter before you add the suffix, etc. And they're experimenting with that. But we need to help them to then go back and explore by looking at what we can read. Because if you can't read, you can't even go back and say the word and figure out what's going on. You can't even hear sounds in a word if you can't say it. So we can actually help them to explore which are the words where from the base word we drop an E or which ones will we double it before we add something. And we can figure out in our own words what those generalizations are and keep refining that hypothesis until we've got it all right. And it stays with them then and they've actually learned it properly instead of someone telling them a rule which may not be true. Because even to figure out why do I double the T in forgetting but I don't in editing, I just leave it as one T before I add the ING, why? And so we need lots of examples of both of those to figure out what's going on. We go back to our reading and find lots of examples of those types of words and look what we're doing for the kids. We're helping them to think scientifically, to form hypotheses, make generalizations and then keep checking those hypotheses. Now, we're not going to let them just finish up with stuff that's wrong. We're going to work through till they come up with 
and therefore can continually apply the correct information about that. And teachers will discover a lot of things for themselves that they didn't know before because someone told them if it's a short vowel and a consonant, you always double the consonant. Well, you don't. And so, you know, it's this discovery that helps you come up with the right information. I think it's really important for both teachers, for principals, for parents to understand that, that, you know, there's so much written about what needs to be learned. It's even in the Australian curriculum, a lot of it. And then how to go about doing it. It's a very consistent approach across the school about how we choose words, how we learn them, how we learn these other strategies. And, you know, the kids will get get to the point where if we've studied how you add ED as a suffix to base words properly, I could say to my kids, now, you go off and study why it was the same thing happened when we add ing. What about other suffixes like ly or ment? Will the same thing occur? And so they know how to go about learning. And that's really important, isn't it? It's not just some sort of rote memory stuff that they get mixed up. Yes, yes. Right? And they will know how to do this for anything they want to learn for the rest of their lives. And I think that's really the key part of it here too is that we're talking about spelling being something that they're not only learning about but they are using you know that it's being transferred it's in use it's it's what literacy is isn't it choose and use exactly you know why am I learning this word what's going to be the best way to learn this word and when I know it then I'm going to be able to use that in my writing and that's why I'm learning it but you know what we also do so much of what a silly thing to just learn one word and then not think how that will help us spell lots of other words so if I learn the word lay as in the chicken will lay the egg then how does that help me spell and look it might even be much more common like we learn the word day very easily because it's in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yes. etc. So day, if you know day, how will that help you spell play, say, may? And also then once I know play, how will I spell playing, played, replay, playful, playground, playfully, etc. Yes. So from yeah. one word I could know how to spell at least 50 other words. How powerful is that? Yes. Because if we just learn one word at a time, there's no way knowing we're going to learn how to spell all of the words we want to use as writers and readers. All of those things help you just as much in reading as in writing. So, you know, it's very important that we just don't stick with one. But, you know, you're better off to choose five really useful words that you're definitely going to use in your writing and that could be sometimes on particular topics if we're learning about snakes we might learn the word venom and then we can think about how to spell venomous and then if we know how to spell venomous will that help us spell enormous so you know it just is so imploding the knowledge that that sort of thing gives you and understanding why you know what does O-U-S mean in a word. So it helps with the vocabulary as well as just the spelling and the reading. And the the meaning comes through so strongly and so important that you then understand what the meaning of another word will be. So it's so much more interesting and useful. If I want to then assess my children's writing, I'm going to look, are they actually applying what they've learned to their writing And if not, why not? Is it because no one's reading their writing? So they haven't actually realised what an important purpose that has. And it may be as simple as that. But uh, if I just stick with learning some words and then not how I'm going to use those words, what if they're words I already know how to spell? What a waste of time. The more that it's done working on what your kids are doing, what you see them doing, you being very good teacher, not just giving them words to learn, then the more effect it's all going to have. And, you know, if parents realise that's what's happening, imagine the more interesting conversations they can have at home. You know, wow, you know, that word, how will that help us write this word, this word, and this word? Sometimes families can spend half an hour having that sort of fun at home with words versus the terrible, boring 
laborious, horrible, pressurised task of trying to learn a word for a test. Yes, yes. So, Di, if we go back to some of the high... I was going to say high-frequency questions uh, on high-frequency words. So if we're not sending home a list of words for learning... Now, let's stop there because we could. It doesn't mean we're not. Mm. But who's going to choose those words? The children with the teacher. And it'll be because of what we're seeing in our writing. And so one of the really good things is to help kids learn how to proofread their writing. You know, it means looking at each word to see, do I think that's right? If not, circling it or underlining it, having another go at it, perhaps over here in the margin, Mm -hmm. and then going back and saying, of the words I didn't spell correctly, which ones would be much more useful for me to learn? Mm -hmm. Because if I do, because I'm going to be using them more in my writing, and as I say, it could be on a topic or it could be just the general words that about 100 of them make up 50% of everything we write. Yes. So one of the school goals is to have kids being able to spell those as early as possible. By the end of grade one, that's possible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we are definitely going to have words to learn as part of our learning about spelling. And that's really just because when we're writing, if we had to stop and think about every word before we wrote it down, that would become a laborious task in itself. But if there are some that we know we're using a lot and we automatically know how to spell them, we don't have to think about it. They just come off our pen or a pencil that way. That's helpful. Then you could focus on other ones you're not sure of. So definitely the ones we're using a lot, we're definitely learning them. But we may not use the same strategies to learn every single one of them. There might be different, you know, approaches to each word and we're going to teach the kids a variety of those. Yes, and that's actually the benefit of it, isn't it, that we can use different strategies for learning those words rather than it just being – the same strategy. Um, rote memory. Yes. That yes. doesn't work. Yeah. 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 Unless you've got a very good visual memory, mm. which some kids don't have, some kids do. And the homework, so we're talking about, could be learning words, but that won't be all it will be. That's, I think, what you were going to talk about before I interrupted you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. About what might be going home and what might it be that children are doing with words at home. Well, Definitely. Well, you've talked about a lot of those things, you know, the explorations that they can do, looking for words that, you know, may be part of an exploration that's happening at school. Um, yep. But all of our children, whether they are in those earlier years where there is a core of words, those words we're using a lot as readers and writers that we want to be becoming very automatic with, and then always thinking, if we know that, what else do we know? Yes. And then for our older writers too, there's really two other categories of words, aren't there? And this really comes to that question now about what if children continue to misspell words? Okay, so let's say this is a very common one. We've got some kids who will continually misspell they as T-H-A-Y. Now, that's because they thought that was how it was spelled when they first wrote it and it was not picked up at that point of teachers looking at the children's writing and saying, this isn't just experimenting with spelling now, this is becoming a permanent misspelling. Mm. We need to nip that in the bud and we need to actually go through that process of the word becoming automatic as T-H-E-Y. And so we will actually talk about that. What's the part of the word that you are misspelling? It's an E instead of an A. So how interesting that is. That's the surprising part about that. Uh, So we'll focus on that both as a visual and we may even say we can see the word the in the word they. Will that help me? We will say say the word, look at it, spell it out, T-H. E-Y, and we'll stress the E because that's the part we were mixing up. And I can say to kids, can you see the word? And they don't really know what I mean by see. If I say, close your eyes, can you see the word? 
And I said, no. I said, well, you actually haven't been looking at it, like taking a photograph of it, picturing it. And in particular, which was the part that you need to notice the most? Let's talk about that. I think the discussion about the spelling, perhaps why it's like another word that we might know or we can see a word in a word or we find out why it's spelt that way. All of those discussions about the spelling highlight the the sort of helping to to see what that word looks like. And now if we're going to practice that word, we will actually do something like go through that look, notice, talk about, spell it out, T-H-E-Y, Now, try writing it down by just thinking about it in your memory and what you've talked about. Now, check back. Is it right? T-H-E-Y. Yes, you've got every part right. Now, let's just really practice that so you don't even have to think about it anymore. And I find that erasable whiteboards are really good for that. So it's sort of like write it, erase it, write it, erase it, so that if I woke you up in the middle of the night and said, how do you spell they, you'd say T-H-E-Y. All right, Ted, E-Y, <laughs> because it's become so automatic to you. It's like taking away that, because otherwise they don't even stop to think about that word when they're writing. They'll just write T-H-A-Y and you can say to them, go back and check and they'll notice then perhaps that it's wrong. Mm. But it didn't automatically come off the pen or the pencil oh, the right no. way. So we've got to break that yeah. and make it automatic, the correct spelling. Yes. But there'll be a lot of discussion depending on the word. You know, it's interesting that just this week I was working with a little girl in grade three and I, I want to point out that someone in grade three in Victoria missed probably prep in grade one. A lot of school because of the COVID lockdowns or school as we know it, face-to-face with the teacher. And I find that one of the things that seems to have slipped in that time was the learning of high-frequency words, very Ah. common. So this little girl is quite good at spelling other words but not high-frequency ones. And so I know that they're the ones with her mum and dad, we're going to check I don't call it a test. She understands their words she's using a lot. Let's check that you know all of those because you're going to use them a lot. And then she can decide in which order because it doesn't matter which order. Okay, that's what I'm going to learn. So she actually was writing some, S-U-M, and same, S-A-M, came, C-A-M, So we decided that that would be some words she should learn and to even compare some and same, but notice that was some, that we were hearing an up sound, but it was the letter O. And then we looked for other words like that, come, Come. done, all right? And so they'd be a really good group for us to learn together, wouldn't they? They're three high-frequency words, all where that up sound is an O, And also, it didn't follow some stupid rule that someone told me that the E at the end is going to make the vowel say its own name. Yes. Well, that works for some words, and in fact, it works for a pretty high percentage, but you have Mm. to know that it doesn't always work. And the high-frequency words, you have to make sure that you've got them right. And there's some Mm. others like that, like have isn't have. Live isn't live unless it's you need the context to know whether it's going to be live or live. But what we also did was once this girl knew some, I then said to her, so how would you spell somebody, something, somewhere, mm. someone? Because then she was realising that this S-O-M-E was one of the parts of a compound word and you couldn't change your spelling to S-U-M because that's the same meaning. Yeah. Somebody, somewhere, somehow, something, right? And, of course, it was. we had a discussion after that about everything, everybody, everywhere. You see how this grows because we're discussing words in terms of what we know and how that will help you with other words. But those bit words were also, and this was from her own writing. She was actually writing a thank you letter to someone. And one of the other words she wrote was she was learning her tables and she wrote T-A-B-E-L. She's very phonetic in the words she doesn't know and I always find that. Mm. They know how to use that phonetic strategy but not others. So I said to her, well, 
how do you spell little? Because I knew she knew how to spell that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, she wrote it L-E. So we talked about that. And I said, well, if T-A-B-E-L is not quite right, have another go at that and see what you think it might be. And so she tried T-A-B-L-E. Yep, that's the way it's spelled, like the same ending as little. So how do you spell able? How do you spell cable? Now how do you spell table again, right? Next week, I checked in with her on those words, by the way. Yes. You know, I don't just let it go. No, no. And yes, she knew how to spell all of them mm. because we'd had a rich discussion. But remember, this was just around a couple of words, but it grew to her knowing how to spell lots of words. Yes. And, you yeah. know, I will yeah. find the same thing happening in a whole class or perhaps a whole group in my class. So I don't have to do this just with every individual. That would be impossible. But I can notice across my class common things, like they write a lot as one word. So I might pull a group of those kids together and we'll talk about it's really like a bunch, a lot, two different words. Oh, but I have to help them break that habit. Yes. Because they're not thinking about it anymore. I'm talking about grade six kids writing mm. a lot. I'm talking about university students, yes. <laughs> right? So what do we do to break that? They need to know why it's spelt the way it is and now let's break that habit also. So, you know, at home, the great thing about finding out is you can just go to, you know, whatever your platform is like Safari, Google, to find out. And you can ask the question, why is such and such spelt the way it is? Mm -hmm. And you'll find an answer to it. And you can also do a lot of that. Well, now that you know that, what other words would that help us with? And if we weren't sure, we could go and check. And again, some sort of dictionary at home, and it might be online, like I've got mine online, dictionary.com, and that will help me with synonyms and meanings and even pronunciation because I can press the microphone and it'll say it for me. And so I would rather that than a hardcover dictionary that the children may not be able to understand it all. You have to start with dictionaries that suit where your child is at, at reading. And if they can't, you will have to help them by being the reader of it. But, you know, dictionaries that start with putting the word in a sentence rather than giving a definition is really important, even starting with picture dictionaries. And where would I find how to spell Darwin? It might not be in a dictionary, but where would I find it? On a map, in an atlas, right? In a postcode book that you get from the post office. Do they still have them? <laughs> I, I know was, I've got one. I was just but wondering you know, that. You know what? They're online now, I think. You just yeah. go yeah. to the postcodes. You know, you can put in postcodes as mm-hmm. a find out yeah. and it will tell you could find out how to spell the word. And, of course, we can have things like, oh, I'm not sure how to spell chihuahua, but I don't even know how it starts. Well, I could go to a dog book and find a photo of it and that will show me how to spell it. So we want kids with their parents finding all those kinds of resources. And, you know, they're very good at it. I'll have little kids, five-year-olds say, oh, I saw that word in that picture book over there. And it's fascinating how often they know exactly where to find that word, even though it's not in, in a dictionary. So. praise that because that's such a good resource to use Mm. Mm. somewhere you know the word is. If you've got no idea, ask someone who you think (laughs) will know because that's a smart thing to do, right? Because we don't want them to go off and find a word but then – or try writing a word they might know because they know another word but then it's not the correct spelling. If they're going to learn it, then they need to make sure it is the correct spelling. But these things are interesting, you know. Let's have a look at what other authors do and why they're doing that. You know, you can apply the same thing to grammar and punctuation, can't you? So it's the same sort of exploration. Where do you put full stops? How do you use talking marks, you know? Once they learn this process of scientific explorations and forming hypotheses and then applying them, it applies to so much that you want to help them learn. Yes, yeah. And I guess in many ways that's, you know, what we talk about often is a school having, so if we've got parents coming to ask questions about our spelling, 
we also need to know as a school, well, what are the approaches? Like, how are we doing this? Yes. Um, have we got a common way of learning words across yep. the school? Have yep. we got, you know, are we working towards students particularly, and I'm just aligning here to the Australian curriculum where it talks about that children will make generalisations around how mm-hmm. words are. It's not being told a spelling rule, but will make generalisations, learn to make, you know, is that part of our spelling approach? Are we getting children to learn how to make yes, generalisations? Exactly. Yep. And so, when you've got that same approach being used right across the school, then the children really and parents then feel very confident about when they go up a grade, it's going to be the same approach. You know, because in some schools it might be, you know, one grade they learn some words, the next grade they don't. You know, the next grade they choose their own, the next grade they don't, the teacher tells them, you know. Mm. And look, it's not from want of wanting to do the right thing. Teachers are all all keen to do the right thing, yes. but they don't necessarily have the opportunity for professional learning. No. There's, you know, not many opportunities for that in their teaching time. No. You know, and there's only so many curriculum days in the year. The parents yes. don't want more of them. <laughs> so the more that we work out what our school approach is going to be in line with the Australian curriculum, of course. Mm. Mm. And, I mean, you've got on your teaching website, Q Learning. All of this information that yeah. teachers and parents could go through to find out what the scope and sequence teaching spelling, yes. how to do it so that you have the same approach across the school. You even have the article that I've written about learning the high-frequency words. Yes. You have other really important work too about teaching onsets and rhymes. And this might be very new language to parents. If I say to you these two words rhyme, R-H-Y-M-E, it could be fat and sat, but it could also be high and sky. So they're not necessarily spelt the same, but they sound the same. So we, we want children to be able to hear when words R-H-Y-M-E. But then linguists also have a term R-I-M-E. And that's like in words such as hat, fat, sat, mat, splat, chat, that the at is called the R-I-M-E. So it's it's sort of that part starting from the vowel and what comes after it, like it, ip, it, in everything from the I onwards would be the rhyme, R-I-M-E, and then we put something in front of it to make the word, and that's called the onset, whatever we put in front. So that sat would be this, is the onset, and at is the R-I-M-E. Now, why that's so important is because that's very much related to two major things. One is if I know how to spell or read sat, that will help me spell or read all of those other at words. If you know how to write day, then that's going to help you know how to write lay, say, play, etc. But, you know, always remember that we can go further than just that that basic aspect of it that and I used to do this even with foundation kids if we know mat then that will help us spell or read hat fat cat and then I would say to them well if we know how to spell cat how would you spell cats and so they would write that realizing that we're adding an s and we talk about how that means it's more than one that that S has a meaning. And so then we'd say, well, how would you spell hats? And how would you spell bats? And how would you spell mats? And then, of course, you could do the same thing with reading. So that I don't want kids to just think, well, that helps me just in one way, but you can extend that. And, of course, the further along you go with that, by grade one, I could be saying to the kids, if you know how to read or spell day, And that helps you with lay and play. Well, how would you write playing? And how would you write laying? And how would you write saying? So that we're also thinking already at that age group about adding suffixes to words, that meaning aspect that those suffixes and prefixes are. So it becomes very powerful that 
what we talk about a reliable rhyme will be that it's constantly spelt and pronounced the same way so that ick, I-C-K, is a very reliable rhyme because I say it could be sick and it could be uh, pick. So if we come across I-C-K, that's how you read it, that's how you say it, that's how you spell it. It's always the same. And just from the most reliable rhymes, the kids could know something like about 600 words. So that's very powerful. And many of them are high-frequency words as well. So you can relate that when they're learning high-frequency words like at, then there's so much to build on to know other words for both reading and spelling. And, you know, this was really so thoroughly researched by Margaret Mustafa quite a number of years ago because the vowel, in that case the a, that comes before the t is very constantly pronounced as an at when it has a consonant after it. So at, fat, mat. Whereas the vowel by itself, the letter A, could be a and it could be after and it could be apricot and it could be um, just a as in a dog. When the vowel is by itself, it can be pronounced many ways. And that's why the onset rhyme work is so helpful for kids before they go on to just learning phonemes by themselves, the sounds in words. And at the same time, they're building confidence about their ability to both read and spell because knowing one helps them with lots of others. And it's easier than the vowels by themselves. So it's really a very important part of the phonological awareness work that is cited in the Australian curriculum and in the Victorian curriculum, and I'm sure it must be in all the others. So we we won't forget that really good research work that Margaret Mustafa did to help us understand that. All right. So Di, maybe we can kind of wrap up our ideas for today about thinking about one of the other questions that parents and teachers, you know, ask about. So what makes someone a good speller? It's a really good question because some kids feel so badly about themselves because they think they're not a good speller. And even if I ask a group of parents that I speak to who thinks they're not a good speller and about a third of the parents will put up their hand, which is very interesting considering they want us to go back to how they were taught. Um, But I think they think a good speller is someone who just spells all words correctly. Mm. And in fact, If you do that, you've probably got a very good visual memory. Um, But if I asked you to spell a word you've never come across before, you may not have any idea how to go about it. So I'm more inclined to think about what does this person, this child, know about um, how to try unknown words because that's what they're going to be doing for the rest of their lives. And so I want to see are they willing to have a go at an unknown word And why? Because, you know, they're thinking about an audience, and at least if I have a go, I'm getting my ideas down. But also are willing to go back, and if they think something's wrong, to try to correct it, Mm -hmm. because they care about their audience, they care about getting it right. But they still may not get it right, but the fact that they've cared and tried to do it tells me that they're a good speller. And when I see what they're doing, I want to see what sort of strategies do they use? Do they only think about the sounds they hear or do they also perhaps try the word a couple of different ways that are using a visual strategy? Do they think about a base word like this little girl I was working with this week? She wrote wonderful and then she thought, wait, wait, does it look right? And I said to her, well, where do you think it's wrong? And she thought that I didn't look right because she wrote W-O-N-D-I, if you will. But I did point out to her, it was really good that when she heard one, she didn't write the uh sound as, as a U. She wrote an O and she knew that was a possible way. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's really great. You're thinking about what words look like as well as just the sounds you hear, particularly because that was the only strategy she was using before. And also I said, well, now, okay, let's think about the base word wonder. How would you write that? And she wrote W-O-N-D-E-R. 
And I said, wow, that's fantastic that you understand you've got to think about if I hear that sound at the end of a word, what's it likely to be? What mm. ER is very common. Now write wonderful. And so she wrote wonder, W-O-N-D-E-R-F-U-L. And so that shows me that she's able to do much more than just sound out a word. Mm. I always look through their writing and point out to them all the strategies I can see them using so that they're aware of that that you're thinking about a base word and how you add a prefix or a suffix. You're thinking perhaps about the meaning of the word, where that word came from. Now, at different stages of development, am I looking for all of these things? No. In the first instance, with you know just a five-year-old, I'm going to be saying, that's fabulous. You're willing to try words even if you're not sure how to spell them. That's what good spellers do. And if they're willing to try a word a couple of ways, then I'll point out to them that's great. If they're using the sounds they hear, I'll point that out as a good thing. If I see they've spelt some high-frequency words correctly, I'll point out that's a strategy good spellers use. You actually know how to spell some words, especially the ones you use a lot. Then as we go up through the grades or as the children become more competent writers and readers, because they learn so much about words through their reading, then I'll be able to point out other strategies they're using. Mm. So all of those things are what I'm looking for. And, you know, again, on your website, we have a checklist for teachers Mm. or parents to look at, and they could be pointing out to their kids, these are all of the things I see you doing. And they're all going to be happening by the time you're five. But by the time you've gone through primary school, someone should have been helping you learn all of those strategies. And I can see you're using them in your writing, Um, using other resources when you're not sure how to spell it would also be an important one. Using onset rhyme that teachers will know a lot more about. All of those sorts of things that we will have dealt with in school that are so important, I can see them coming through in their writing and I'll point that out as that's what good spellers do. It's not just someone who spells words correctly because some kids don't try words they don't know how to spell so it could look like they're good spellers but they may not know about all the strategies a good speller uses. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it all goes together, doesn't it? Yes. Kids understanding what makes a good speller, yeah. parents understanding that, so they're not going to just say, you're wrong, you shouldn't be doing that, but helping them to use different strategies depending on their development and age group, etc. cetera. Mm. And it is absolutely, I think we've sort of come full circle again too to that idea that... There are many strategies that we draw on and we develop those over time and that is a developmental process and that that we aren't just born as we're going to be a good speller or we're not going to be a good speller, that yeah. we are building up that range of strategies to work with and use and think about and inquire about and see the patterns and make the generalisations you know, on a consistently ongoing basis across our lives, um, I'm still aware of, you know, the words that I'm or the strategies that I'm using to learn new words now. Exactly. You know, so I suppose it's also in response to parents too, where if they're feeling that their child isn't being a highly successful speller at this point, you know, can they be a better speller? Yes, the more strategies they have, the more understandings and wonderings they have about words, the more they're going to be able to notice about words and engage with words. And That's really, right. And, you know, it is true that if we get kids to work in an exploratory way, looking through books to find examples of words with prefixes or suffixes, etc., that when they're reading, they actually notice them. You know, they haven't mm. intended to read for that purpose, but then they'll say, oh, I found another one. Like this little girl yes. found the word stumble when we were reading something else after our spelling work the other day. Mm. And she said, oh, there's another one of those words that ends in L-E. Yes. And, you know, that's not what she would have done beforehand. So no. 
just because you read a lot doesn't mean you'll be a really good speller either. But most people, their reading affects their spelling dramatically. And particularly if you're given books to read that have very limited vocabulary in them, then you are not going to see very many different words and you will not become a good speller. It Mm. is very interesting, the effect that that can have. So you won't learn to read very much either. So all of these things go together so well. Uh, One of the things that parents can do that I just want to finish with, I would have a child who would say to me all the time, how do you spell, how do you spell, how do you spell? Mm. And if I say... Okay, well, let's think about, uh, depending on the age group, and it might be, what sounds do you hear? You know, how will you write down each of those sounds? It might have even been the child who, in older grades, they'll notice if the words along the word might be remembering. They just put down all the letters they think are there. And if I say to them, well, let's clap the word and think remembering. Have you got each part of the word written down? That can be really helpful. But also it might be, what's the base word? Can you write that? Now, if you were adding a prefix, let's say the word's unnecessary. What's necessary? And, you know, if they know how to spell that, that's great. Now it's unnecessary. Un means not. It's a whole little meaning unit of its own. U-N, un. If you're going to put that in front of necessary, then you're definitely going to have two ends, aren't you? It's not a guess. It might look right with only one, but it can't be because the prefix in front is un. Legal, illegal. Satisfy, dissatisfy. It stops the guessing. There's actually a reason for only one letter or two letters that you're seeing in that part of the word. So I ask the kids to do some thinking when they ask me how to spell a word. But, you know, you also have to recognize frustration level. If they say, yes, I just want to know how to spell the word and I don't know how to spell it. And I find that with a word like said. I know there's an S, I know there's a D, but I don't know what's in the middle. Mm. For heaven's sake, recognize that's a genuine question. And so you show them how to spell the word. Yeah. And talk about, isn't that interesting? Yes. Is that a word you would like to learn? So, you know, you don't always tell them just how to spell it, but you don't never tell them how to spell the word. Mm. No, no. And something important that I think that has been a thread through this too is that, you know, if they've asked how to spell a word and what is it they already know? What are the parts that are known And so the parts that aren't known then, like you say, we can really look at that. We can notice, notice that part. What do we notice about that? And I think that word notice, which is, you know, the first part of that word learning process, really notice a word. What's going on here with this word is such a strong strategy for students yeah, for sure. and and I just see that over and over again that once that word is brought to them it changes the way they look at words and yeah. think about words so and That's think about spelling true. and their way you know their way of working with it but no so, matter what we have to keep praising yes their attempts and what they're willing to have a go at yes because if they're too frightened to try to spell a word, we'll never know what they know no. and what to do to really help them. Yes. And, you know, when kids are beginning to write, uh, many of them are really frightened to have a go because they think if they don't know how to spell the word properly, they can't try it. Mm. And that beginning stage of writing like that is so important for us to help them to feel confident about having a go, mm. praising what we see them do instead of telling them what's wrong. Yes. Um, yes. It's probably the most useful thing that a parent of a young child can do. Mm. Wow, look at the writing you've done yes. and I can read yes. what you've written. Yeah. That's so fantastic. Mm. Mm. No, absolutely right. We need them. There's that other term, you know, just the having a go and writing as best we can. Yeah, being willing to have a go. Yes. So important. Yes. Oh, Di, thank Thank you you, so much. That's rich information again. 
solid, solid range of things for people to be thinking about. And we will also have, it'll be referenced in the show notes, but available on Teachific will be that very chapter from the Spelling K to 8 book around questions parents ask. So that Yes, that's right. You could put the whole chapter there. Yes. That would be yes. great. So people can revisit. They can listen back to this, but they can also revisit the things that we've talked about and make connections too to all of those resources that are also available on Teachific from analysing student writing through yes. to learning a word, through to onset and rhyme work. Yep. So there's plenty there for people to go exploring with and to you know to to build confidence in articulating this information too when thinking yep. about and do you know there's also a couple of appendices in the book that you could include on the type of homework you could do with younger grades and yes. with older grades yes um, so that if teachers weren't sure or parents could use that to know what sorts of things we could do at home they would help as well. Yes. No, I agree. In fact, there's the lovely checklist for beginning writers and experienced writers of thinking about am I a good speller and am I reading a lot? Am I writing a lot? You know, Mm. so all of those things that are important to our, you know, our development as spellers. Yep. Yes. All right. All right. Thank you so much, Di. Okay. Bye. for listening to the podcast to make sure you don't miss any literacy learning tips and insights please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player at q learning our literacy specialists draw on over 30 years of teaching and international consulting experience to deliver world-class learning solutions we equip empower and support teachers to become their authentic selves to find out about upcoming webinars and about how q can help you and your school visit qlearning.com.au and you can get even more amazing teaching resources right now at teachific.com.au. Stay tuned.